0: Well good morning everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, my name's Todd for those of you I don't know and uh, many of you who live here and uh, I'm sure some of you who may have traveled here either on vacation or uh, just here for the week or spring break or whatever the case may be you, you guys know that today in our community is Heritage Sunday and uh, just a few miles down the road. Uh, They will begin, or probably have begun, uh, the uh, last round of the Heritage. And uh, I love the uh, background of the Heritage. It's a tournament that's been here since 1969. And if you uh, golf tournament, PGA Tour stop, one of the smallest uh, communities. And uh, we're kind of proud of that, aren't we? That we're one of the smallest communities. And I remember just a few years ago, as uh, we began to uh, potentially lose our sponsor, that uh, a lot of us in the community went out and actually bought tickets, if you can imagine that, that we actually you know bought tickets uh, to help save it. And then, of course, uh, uh, you know that uh, here we are a few years later with a new sponsor, and they're celebrating golf. And the Heritage has so much of uh, a celebration of the history of golf behind it, uh, one of the longest running Uh, uh, tournaments on the PGA Tour, and of course now, over the years, the Heritage has been known for uh, really giving back to the community, in this community and beyond, uh, because uh, much of the money that's raised is raised for local charities and state charities, and uh, it's a great organization, the Heritage Foundation. Uh, I love what we do in our community, in this small community, there's a lot of pride behind that, and it's it's really an amazing thing that we get to experience each and every year, every year. How many of you've been to at least one round or going uh, today? Yeah, if you if you have the opportunity. See, today is a day that a pastor like is like, please, someone show up <laughs> <laughs> at church. End of spring break, perfect weather outside, right? And two miles down the road is a nationally televised, internationally televised golf tournament. So you're just like, please, anybody show up. So I'm glad that you're like here today. Thank you so much for being here today. See, pastors like weather like we had on Easter. You know why? There's nothing else to do. You get in here, right? So I'm glad that you're here today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 will be there at the end of the message. We'll actually look at the whole passage of uh, Acts chapter 26 all the way through 29 as we end up things today. You know, I love the heritage, too, and I love the idea of of heritage, and we all have a heritage. I I come from uh, Scottish, uh, Irish, uh, English... You know, maybe some, I don't know, whatever mixed in there, heritage. And so we all have heritage in terms of our background. Uh, As many of you know, I love genealogy, history, and and that kind of thing, so I love that. Many of you do too. Uh, There's heritage that we have in terms of, you know, maybe our education, or um, maybe perhaps some of you have a heritage of of a business that you've inherited Uh, down the years, uh, you know, from uh, maybe your, you know, father or grandfather or or parents or whatever. So there's a heritage of a business or an industry. Or you may, uh, as I mentioned, an educational heritage. There's a heritage of a particular school that you go to. Uh, Or maybe there's a a heritage or legacy is kind of a newer word that we use to describe that about what you do with your time What you do with your energy? But we all today in this room have um, one thing in common and that is is that we all have some kind of spiritual heritage And, and for some of you that's a rich deep spiritual heritage that's built on, uh, you know, many generations of, of people who are um, some in some sort of religion. Perhaps it's Christianity. Perhaps it's another religion. Perhaps uh, your, you know, spiritual heritage isn't Christianity, isn't kind of this version, if you will, of, uh, you know, spiritual background. But many of you who have gathered here today on Sunday morning, your background, your heritage, uh, your spiritual heritage is a rich, heritage of of Christ followers in your family. Uh, I've told the story a few times uh, throughout the years that my grandmother's mother, let's see, my, excuse me, yeah, my grandmother's mother, so my great grandmother on my mom's side accepted Jesus Christ at a Billy Sunday revival tent meeting, and uh, that's what began the Christian heritage on our side of the family that continues to today, And I got thinking about that in the days leading up to uh, this Sunday's heritage, that we we all have a a, a heritage, a religious heritage of some sort. Um, Some of you are here today, and and you have a religious heritage, and, and that religious heritage is... That there's no heritage, you know. Perhaps you're here today, and uh, your family, you know, grew up without some kind of religion, without Christianity, without really any kind of belief system, or maybe it's agnostic or atheist or whatever the case may be. That's a heritage in itself. It's just a heritage of, an you know, an empty or maybe kind of a null or void uh, religious heritage. But it's a heritage. It's a line of something, you know, that existed. That something is the belief in, in nothing or the belief. Uh, that God didn't exist or whatever the case may be. And so we all have that heritage. And I'll bet today if you thought long enough, you can think of someone in your life who, had, uh, t- who took the opportunity to have an impact on your Christian. I'm talking about Christian here right now just because we are a Christian church. We are believers in Jesus. Those of, of you who gather at this church, somebody in your life had a, a, an impact on your Christian heritage. Uh, for, for some of you, it may be a lot of people, or maybe a few people. Uh, for me, it was my second—or excuse me, my first-grade teacher. Um, it was a guy who was a history teacher when I was in sixth grade, by the name of Mr. Fleming. Um, he, he also uh, gave me a little heritage in terms of golf because a group of us would go play golf after school some days when I was in uh, seventh grade, and that was—that was fun. Sixth and seventh grade. So, Mr. Fleming had an influence there. My grandmother had a huge influence on my personal Christian heritage. My mom had an influence, a guy by the name of Jeff Cranston, who's the pastor of now our sister church, Lowcountry Community Church, uh, who was my youth pastor growing up, uh, and a guy by the name of Fred Hartley, uh, both of those at Lowburn Alliance Church in uh, uh, Atlanta, in the, Lowburn area, or in the Atlanta area, a place called Lowburn. Um, and uh, man, that heritage uh, was because there were people in, in my life who took the opportunity to share with me um, the message of Jesus Christ, and, and at different points along my path, um, my faith grew because of those people, and I'm just giving you the story really all the way through high school. Past high school, there been, have been many others, but those are the people in my upbringing that have had a huge impact on my own spiritual Christian heritage, and I bet if you thought long enough, you can think of someone who had an impact on your spiritual heritage as well. In, in my case, and, and in your case, the people who had that kind of influence on, on your heritage or your legacy, on your, your Christian legacy, um, is partly because they understood what it means to not just be a Christian, but be a Christ follower. You see, Jesus called his disciples and he calls you and I not just to believe in him, that's the starting point, but he calls us to be followers of him. And in Matthew 16, verse 24, he says it, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he he would let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so far in this message series, we're in week four of this message series, we began on Easter, we talked about the fact that um, being a Christian, excuse me, becoming a Christian Costs nothing, but being a follower of Jesus costs so much. It's incredibly costly to continue the faith journey, and being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus—if you do it according to God's plan—it costs a lot. Becoming a Christian, believing in Him, accepting what God did by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins—is completely free. It costs you nothing. But being a follower of Jesus Christ costs us a lot. And so in the past weeks, Todd Cooper began, and he talked about the fact that um, being being a Christ follower costs us sometimes our own security, and we trade that, or our own safety for God's security. Sometimes being a Christian, being a Christ follower, can be a scary thing. It can be uh, 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 something that we might be afraid of because of what might happen to us. We saw the early Christians go into hiding for a period of time. But being a Christ follower costs our own safety, and we trade that in because we can be secure in him. We can find our hiding place in him. Uh, Last week, we talked uh, about the, the idea that uh, being a Christ follower is going to cost us our own selfish ambition, our self-indulgences, the things that we like. We have to give that up because it, doesn't, it really isn't all about us anymore. It becomes about him. It becomes about Christ. And we have to die to ourselves to continue to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it costs us really like our own selfish pride and ambition and, 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 you know, those things that we're indulgent with and the things that we like to do, we have to let that die. We have to kind of lay that down and abandon that so that we can continue to be followers of Jesus Christ. Today, I believe what we're going to look at is is, is we're going to look at the idea that um, if you are someone in here who desires, um, and you're already a Christian, like you've already made the decision to to, believe in Jesus, um, to continue in your faith walk is going to cost you your reputation, and it probably is going to cost you um, maybe your inhibition or your ability to like be vulnerable with other people about your story. It's going it's to cost you um, transparency. It's going to require you and, and, and I to like pull off some of the layers of this wall and the shell that we sometimes put up and let people in to our lives. because being a Christ follower should be something that is incredibly, incredibly contagious. And I'm so concerned because in the church, sometimes it's just not. There's a lot of other things in our culture that are con- that is contagious. And unfortunately, sometimes our faith is not contagious, and it should be. And if we're true followers of Jesus, we're going to be people that are contagious. And we're going to be people that want to pass down that heritage. I love it. Um, da- down here at uh, just you know, a few miles down the road, uh, on the leaderboard are a couple guys who are part of the PGA on a regular basis. And um, they, are, they are men that are not ashamed to share their story of their faith walk. Um, it, it's amazing to kind of read some stories. And I've done, I did a little research over the past few weeks, kind of preparing for today. Um, there are a lot of Christians that are on the PGA tour. There were some some old guys like myself, like Lee Jansen. And, of course, a lot of you know Payne Stewart, who died tragically in a plane crash in 1999. Um, Guys like Lee Jansen and Payne Stewart Stewart had a radical conversion, um, a radical change. And he became a Christ follower who was bold in his faith walk. I mean, he was really bold in his faith walk. Lee Jansen, uh, who and I think now uh, plays on the, uh, the, they don't call it the senior tour. It's the champions tour. Don't you love that, man? I love that. The older I get, the more I like that. It's champions tour. I love that. It's awesome. It's not senior tour, all right? That's what we should call our ministry here, the champions ministry. You like that? All right? Yeah, I like that. That's good. Okay, anyway, yeah. So anyway, there's some some newer guys, some some guys that are uh, newer. Jonathan Bird um, is a guy, spelled the same way, by the way, uh, who plays on tour. He's a strong uh, witness for Christ, um, Webb Simpson, uh, who won the U.S. Open um, a couple years back, um, is a fantastic Christ follower. Uh, there's there's a bunch of others: Aaron Badley, uh, Bubba Watson, Hunter Man, Davis Love III, Matt Kuchar is near the top of the leaderboard today. Zach Johnson, who's also near the top of the leaderboard today. Those guys, and among those guys, by the way, there are six major wins and just dozens and dozens of wins on the PGA Tour. There are some guys that are down here right now who are so bold about their faith that it might even embarrass guys like me who are pastors, to be honest. Really. They're just normal guys do the same thing we do. They just happen to have a big platform, and they use that opportunity to spread the message of Jesus Christ because it has made such a huge impact on their life and in their lives. These guys realize that golf is not their first priority. They realize that um, they're really more like fishermen. (laughs) Um, Jesus, when he was gathering his followers, went up to this place north of Jerusalem called the Sea of Galilee. And he walked literally around the Sea of Galilee from village to village and town to town. And um, he would find these guys that were fishermen to be his followers. Now, fishermen, like, were not the, the you know, necessarily the brightest people in the culture of that day. Um, they, they certainly, like, probably, no offense to any guys who are fishermen in here, they probably weren't the best-looking guys of the day. Um, they, they, you know... Fishermen, like, have you ever like when I don't fish a whole lot, but when I do, I come back and say these like, get in the shower, okay? They didn't smell real good, okay? Let's just be honest. Um, like, and Jesus is picking up these guys, and I think largely the reason that he was attracted to fishermen is they got it, and we see this reflected. I love this in Matthew chapter four. Check this out, Matthew four eighteen. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he talking about Jesus. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and he said to them let's say these two words together with me okay same with me ready right? he said to them follow me okay it's the name of our message here is what we're talking about and i and i wanted to see if you're awake which you are most of you and i want to make you fishers of men see jesus took what they did for a living and he turned it and said i want to make you guys fishers of men right now you're casting your nets and you're pulling up fish but i want to make you fishers of men And immediately, it says in verse 20, they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he uh, saw two older brothers. We talked about these guys, these goofballs last week. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, um, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, um, mending their nets. These are the guys that the mom, like, asked Jesus, I want my boys to be on your right and left, you know, spiritual position. Anyway, go back and listen to the podcast last week. They were mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, twice now, immediately, They left the boat and their father and they followed him. That was a big deal, by the way. And that's not what today's message is about. That was a huge deal. You see, these men realized that their primary purpose once they encountered Jesus, and obviously they had either already encountered Jesus or in that moment they were so overwhelmed spiritually by the presence of the Son of God that they dropped everything everything that they knew and they followed jesus they dropped everything that brought them any kind of income or, or resources or could pay the bills or put food on the table and shelter over their family's heads and they followed jesus immediately these guys gave up what was theirs and they became fishers of men and that's what jesus calls us to if we are going to be people who follow him. Remember, that was the first thing that he said, right? Follow me. And so you and I have to realize something, and it's not popular, and it's not necessarily cool, and it's not necessarily like um, admired. In fact, the world probably might even Sneer and snicker at you and I um, if we share our faith. But if we're gonna be a follower of Jesus, we we gotta lay down our reputation and maybe even lay down our insecurities and realize that part of being a follower of Jesus is doing what some of these guys, some of these PGA guys are doing. That is, is when they have an opportunity, they share their faith. They're bold about it. They don't back off of it. When given the opportunity, they became followers of Jesus. There's a lot of ways that you and I can share our faith. We can do it through our lifestyle, right? Um, it was St. Augustine who said, you know, um, preach the message of Jesus, and if you must use words, that's what he meant. We can do it through our lifestyle. You know, people are watching you. If you tell um, students, if you're here and like, you tell like, your friends that you're a Christian, they're, they're going to be watching you. They're going to be watching what you do. You see, like obedience to what God tells us to do in our life doesn't have as much to do with just following a list of rules as it does representing him well. Like that's the better motive, isn't it? To live a life that's worthy of him. If you adults and and businessmen and women, if you tell your coworkers or your employees that you're a Christ follower, they're going to be watching your business practices. Sorry, they are. And the moment that you give them that little opportunity that, you know, man, I do things a little differently. I kind of like hide a few things here and there. Oh, man, all of a sudden, um, it's not just your reputation that's at stake. It's the reputation of Jesus that's at stake. So it's the way that we live our lives. It's the good deeds we do. That's one way. Uh, those are two ways to share. The way we live our lives, the good deeds we do. Like we can go out, and that's how Jesus often brought people in as he met a physical need um, we as a church do that often we have second sunday we serve many of you serve in, in, in uh, volunteers in medicine and um, live to give and and with fellowship of christian athletes and um you know there there are dozens and dozens of others all of which are listed on our website i want to encourage you some of those partners um, that we have Um, Some of you on missions trips. In fact, I see Clint and Leanne here with the navigators. They're navigators. I hope I'm totally embarrassing you guys, but they're navigators. In fact, I'm going to have you guys stand up. Is that all right? Would you guys stand up? This is Clint and Leanne Trebesh. They are our partners at Georgia State doing an amazing job. And uh, some of you uh, will be hearing about a trip that we may be making this fall to help them out. Some of you have been to Belize with Row Kids, our partner in Belize. And so we can, we can live our faith out. We can share that message by the good deeds we do. Um, we, we can do it by watching what we say to other people, by being kind to other people. Um, by, okay, I'm going to hit another touchy subject here, but like on social media, being kind to other people, all right? Okay, get mad at me if you want, but that'll prove my point, okay? So like, you know, just like watching how you treat people, you treat people with kindness and respect, but I have to tell you this, and if I'm honest, if I'm just gut level straight up honest with you, um, the way that, that Jesus told us and the way that the church fathers in this book, the Bible, God's word to us, the way the primary way, the, the, the like way that everything was based on, the way that the, the message of Jesus was spread in the first century and in the subsequent centuries was, yes, through all of those different things, but the way that it was spread primarily was through the audible message of someone telling someone else about Jesus, They use their words, either written or or spoken, or spoken in public or spoken in private. And we have to come to the realization that we're compelled as, as Christ followers to at some point in our lives, when given the opportunity, to open our mouths and, and share the story of what God has done in and through us. And I fear, even in my own life, that I, I don't make the most of every opportunity um, that I've been given. But if I'm going to be a Christ follower, and if you are going to be a Christ follower, um, we're going to be prepared, we're going to be ready when that opportunity comes. um, I want to point something out to you, and then we're gonna get, I promise you, we'll get to Acts uh, there in a moment that I told you to turn to at the beginning. Paul, before that, says this to the church in Corinth. I want you to to see this. He says this, now I would remind you brothers, he's writing this message in letter form to the church in Corinth, he says this, "Um, I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, and I'm gonna come back to that verse in a moment, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I, what's that next word? Preach to you. I'm going to come back to that word because it's the same word that's used in in one. Um, Unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so Paul is telling this church that's in this like location that is has such a huge impact, national, not nationally, internationally in the world of that day, they had an international impact because of where they were located, because of what was going on in Corinth. Corinth was the hub, kind of the centerpiece of that area of the world in terms of culture, in terms of transportation, in terms of business and commerce, and in terms of of, of uh, just messages being spread because everything was right there. Think about that today in Hilton Head. We're just like Corinth. Today, more than any other day of the year. We're the focal point of a lot of what's going on in the world. But, you know, I I would suggest to you that Hilton Head and the low country and the area that we live has a huge influence in the world 365 days a year we have a huge influence, the ability to influence our culture because of where we're located. This is a unique place, and I believe that God can do something amazing that could be worldwide in nature right here, starting right here from Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Down where a lot of people think it's just resort land, you know, where everybody just goes and swims in the pool in the ocean and plays golf all day. I believe that God can do an amazing thing, but what we have to realize in verse 1, if you saw there, there's a couple words I want to describe to you and tell you. He said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, and then he goes on in verse 2 to say the word preach again. Now, let's admit it. When you hear the word preach, um, you think of a guy like me getting up and speaking loudly and yelling and screaming, right? That's what you think of. Can we be honest today? You're not going to offend me if you nod your head, okay? That's, That's what we think of, right? But what he was telling the church, what he was telling the people that were a part of the church, is that it wasn't, he wasn't speaking to the pastors here. Those are other letters that he writes to pastors and ministers of the gospel. He's speaking to the church, not just the leaders in Corinth, but the people, that their responsibility is to preach. And the word he used, I hate that word in today's vernacular. I hate, I can't stand it, and I use it sometimes, but I can't stand it because of not because of the word, but because of the connotation that cultures put on the word. You know what preach means? It simply means to tell with your mouth or with words. That's what it means. It's simply that. It's from the Greek. It's actually the same word that we get evangelism from, euangelion. And actually, this is so incredibly interesting. Don't miss this. The word gospel and the word preach are nearly the same word in the original language. Isn't that amazing? You know what that tells us? The gospel is the message of Jesus, but it tells us that it was meant to be spread by words. It was meant to be promoted and communicated with our mouths. And I don't think that we need to be, you know, the crazy people at the airport that we might have seen years ago and the guy that stands up and does something stupid and you just go, boy, there he is again. I hope that that's not what you're getting today. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that if you are going to be a Christ follower, if I'm going to be a Christ follower, we, you and I together, have to make the most of everything. Every opportunity that God gives us to share what he's done in our life. Because the gospel message is in you if you're a Christian. You've been changed because of what Jesus did on the cross. And some of you do this amazingly well. And some of you are great examples to me on this. And I love you for it. Thank you. You do an amazing job at this. But some of us need to be spurred on and challenged, and maybe even God's conviction laid on us that we need to do a little bit better job of taking and making the most of every opportunity to just share. And it doesn't mean that you have to be necessarily good with words. It doesn't mean that you have to have education and a background and training in Bible school or seminary. Trust me, I'm not done with my degree yet. Probably may never be. But anyway, that's a whole other story for another time. You do not have to be trained. All you have to do is take and make the most of every opportunity that God gives you to share. And it may be to a person that you sit on a plane next to for five hours on your way across country. Or it could be your best friend that you've been talking to for years. And God is encouraging you right now to continue to tell them. And maybe a family member who's close to dying. And God is saying, continue to tell. Continue to speak. See, Paul gave us this instruction, but when Paul's back was against the wall, he made the most of every opportunity. I want you to look at this today. We're going to read um, Acts chapter 26, and I'm going to skip around a little bit just for time's sake, but I want you to get this picture. And and, and Paul, what Paul does here is he gives us a model of how we can formulate our story in a way that's compelling to other people so that when we have the opportunity, um, we're just simply sharing what God has done in our life. Check this out. This is awesome. Acts chapter 26. Paul is in jail. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. This wasn't the first time that he was arrested Um, It wasn't the first time that he was beaten, but he's been been arrested because he's sharing his faith, and and he's turned this culture upside down, and the religious leaders and the civic leaders are just so irritated. But um, unlike Jesus, Paul gets a trial, and so he goes in front of different people to give um, give answers to questions they ask. But in this scenario, he comes before Agrippa who was the king, essentially like like a governor, essentially, of the area, um, this area. And the king does something that none of the others did. Instead of asking him a question, the king essentially says, Paul, share your story. And Paul's like, sweet, here we go, home run. (laughs) You want me to share my story? You're going to give me the platform to do it? I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to hit a home run here. Like, if, if any of you, like, are soccer fans, this is an open goal. Like, the goalie is, like, sitting on the sidelines having an ice cream or something. Like, I mean, it is an open goal, like, time to get the ball in the net. And Paul takes and makes the most of every opportunity, this opportunity that he's been given. And I think gives us a great example of how we can do this. Check this out. Chapter 26, first one. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak... For yourself and then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense now he's making a defense but do you know what he's doing here he's preaching somebody said it he's preaching and he's not preaching like we think of preaching he's preaching he's telling them the story about how God changed his life and your story um, may not be I-, I guarantee you is not as dramatic as Paul's but it is still important you know that, each of you. My, my story's not that dramatic. It's just not. I mean, some days I, I would like for it to be more dramatic. I think some days my family's like, you're making it dramatic, Todd. Chill out, man. Come on, settle down. <laughs> but your story's important, so is mine. Somebody, somebody deserves, somebody deserves the opportunity to hear your story. This is what Paul does. He said, I consider myself fortunate. (laughs) He's been beaten. He's in jail. Now he's at a trial. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And then what he does from verses 4 through verse 11 is he tells the story of who he was before he met Jesus. And he's honest. He says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They know me. He says, I was a Pharisee. I was the strongest Pharisee. Look at verse 6. I was the strongest Pharisee. I, I stand here now on trial because... Not of that, but because my hope is in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. There he kind of links back to Jewish heritage once again. Go down to verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I not only locked up, he says, many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, But when they were put to death, I I cast my vote against them. What What is he admitting to here? He's admitting to murdering Christians, isn't he? This is Paul. wrote most of the New Testament. And he's explaining who he was before Jesus. Verse 11, I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. And so Paul tells who he was before Christ. When you're telling your story, when, when you have the opportunity to share with someone who you are in Christ, you have to begin by telling them who you were before Christ. And you don't have to go into all the gory details. In fact, Paul spends the least amount of time on who he was before Christ. Because to be honest with you, all they need to know is who you were before Christ, whether that was ugly or not. For some of you, it wasn't. Maybe you were a good person, but you certainly didn't know where your eternity lied. And then he goes on to to continue. He tells of his conversion In this connection. I journeyed to Damascus. He was saying I was going to Damascus to continue this Christian killing thing with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. He keeps connecting it back to the, the authority that he had from the Jews who put him in, in this trial. Anyway, at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. And he goes on to say that he, he fell to the ground in verse 14. And I heard a voice uh, saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and many of you know the story of um, Saul's Damascus Road conversion and how he fell on his knees And literally, he was changed in in physical ways. He was changed, and his name went from Saul, and it changed to Paul. And this radical, radical conversion happened in his life. And he goes on to talk about that. But check down at verse 19. He says this. So, so far, he's talked about who he was before Christ. So far, he's talked about his conversion experience, which was dramatic. But now he begins to tell who he is after Christ. This is the best part, and he spends the most time on this. It says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then all throughout uh, the, the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance and he goes on to talk about the fact that he testified and he went out he spread the gospel message and paul essentially goes on we're not going to read the whole thing I'm, i'm out of time i'm sorry but he went on to to tell king agrippa and the people that were listening in this trial how god has changed him in dramatic ways and now instead of being an agent against christianity he's an agent for jesus christ and he spends most of his time. And take a look at verse 30. Then the king arose and the governor and the Bernice, the, uh, the governor's wife, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had drawn, they said, uh, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. You see, Paul made the most of that opportunity. And he didn't come to his defense, although that's what the trial was for. But in his defense, he spoke of who he was before Christ. He spoke about his conversion. And he spoke about who he was after Jesus. You see, I think that sometimes we make too difficult sharing the message of Jesus to our friends and our loved ones. I think that we think that we have to have all the answers. Yes, it's good to know some of the answers, and that comes through spending time in God's word. But just as a start for for you and I, I believe following Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, means that we're compelled to share our story when we have the opportunity. And I promise, if you sat here long enough, those of you who are already Christ followers, there's an opportunity in your life right now. I promise you. There's someone in your neighborhood Or in your school or in your business place or maybe someone who's sick on their deathbed um, who you may have an opportunity to share the message of jesus with you see it's the bottom line today being a follower of jesus compels us to take or make most of every opportunity we're given to share the story of how jesus has changed our life there are a lot of ways that you can get into the conversation but i believe that if you will open yourself up and allow God's Holy Spirit to lead every step of your life, he will give you the exact words to say to help someone else, to help point someone else to Jesus. You know, of the people that I mentioned in my heritage, um, two of them were stay-at-home moms. They were my grandmother and my mom. One of them was a school teacher. The other was a youth pastor and the other was a pastor. So the six people that I mentioned, only two of them were trained in sharing their faith. Yet the other four probably had a bigger impact in terms of my own conversion to Christ. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're here today and your faith is in Jesus, you can do this. This is for you. It's not reserved for professional Christians or for professional ministers. See, you have a Christian heritage, so I wanna encourage you to do this. Here's your action step today. Take some time. Um, We have done this before and we're doing it again here. Um, We have these available. They're available online at hiltonheadislandcc.org, message notes, or you can go in the back and get a physical one. This is a front and back two-page thing that you can do, just you and God about how to get to the point where you can share your story, your life before Christ, your conversion story, and who you are after Christ. Take some time this week to write down your story. But don't only do that. I want want to challenge you even further. I want to challenge you to find one person over the next 30 days, one person over the next 30 days that you know um, needs to hear this message and share your story of your changed life with them. You may be the only person, you may be the only person in their life that gives them the greatest story they could ever hear. Think about you. Because for many of you, if it weren't for so-and-so, you wouldn't be here today. If it weren't for so-and-so, you wouldn't be here today. And your heritage, your Christian heritage, is something that does not need to stop with you. It doesn't need to end right here in this room with you. It needs to be something that you carry on and you continue that Christian heritage by opening your mouth, speaking up. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for moving in our lives. And God, I thank you that um, in many ways we become the hands and the feet of Jesus to our friends and our family and our loved ones, our classmates, um, our coworkers, God, our neighbors, um, the people we play golf with and do life with and um, do sports with, and the, the people that we sit next to um, while um, our kids are playing sports. There's many who are in here, um, God, we are the feet and the hands of our children, or we are the feet and in in the hands of you to our children, or to our grandchildren, or to nieces and nephews and young people who, um, if we don't tell them about how you changed our life, there's the chance that no one ever will. And God, I thank you for for the heritage that you gave me. Um, I thank you for Kay, and for Sue, and for Mr. Fleming, and my first grade teacher. And I thank you for a guy by the name of Jeff and Fred. (coughs) And God, when the opportunity arose um, to share what you've done in their life and how they've changed, not only did they show me through their life, not only did they show me through their good deeds, but God, when the opportunity arose, they spoke up. God, help each one of us in here to find that sweet spot of what it means to be people who speak up and be people who not just believe in you and not just like hold our, our heritage back, but we're people who continue that heritage and that legacy of Christ follower. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness. I pray that you would give us the courage. Bring to mind that those people are that person that we need to tell. And God, I pray that you would help us to prepare our story to be able to tell to someone else. And I pray this all in the strong and the mighty and powerful name of Jesus.